I'm having a hard time with the fact that it's almost Christmas, right? Anybody else? Like, how on earth is it Christmas already? I mean, it's not yet, but how is it almost Christmas? And I was realizing, you know, I think it's because October was unseasonably warm, right? So we had this, like, really warm, and it felt like, you know, you sneezed and you missed fall, and now here we are, Advent. Like, here we are almost at Christmas. I just, like, I have this really hard time. And so, as you kind of have heard alluded to this morning, uh, through our beautiful drama, through our kids' message, through this uh, scripture reading, we're uh, talking about preparation this morning, because I think it's really important for us to prepare Because sometimes it just feels like, how on earth are we here already? How on earth is Christmas so close to us? Uh, One of the ways that we, uh, many of us, but in our uh, family, uh, prepare especially is through music, right? There's the songs of the season, and there's uh, certain uh, songs in our household that just uh, feels like, okay, now I'm ready. Like, now I can be ready for this Christmas season. It's maybe not even your favorite songs, right? It's not always like, the best and greatest Christmas carol, or but it's a song that you play that every year uh, you keep coming back to because it just gets you ready for the season. Do you know what I'm talking about? So uh, if you're online, I'm going to invite you in the comments uh, to write these out. But what, what are some of those songs for you? These songs, like when they come on or when you turn them on on your record player or, you know, on your iPhone, however you might play them, these songs that just, like, get you prepared for the season, what are some of those songs for you? Go ahead and just call those out. Last Christmas. You know, I was not expecting that answer, but thank you for that. Uh, others, what other, what other songs kind of get you ready for the season? Not even this is your favorite. Say it again. Andy, were you, I was watching you say something. Come on, ring those bells. Okay. Uh, <laughs> we're going to move on. Uh, Sharon said uh, online, the Christmas song. Uh, Elaine says she's so happy to be watching Jersey City. So, you know, there's some other ways to prepare. Any other songs? Joy to the World. Good. Excellent Christmas carol. Okay. Say that again, Janet. Santa Lucia. Oof. That's a classic in the Swedish tradition. Was there another one? Yeah. Oh, Holy Night. Oh. Uh, I'm going to move a little irreverent. (laughs) Maybe not irreverent, but in our household, uh, whenever Amy Grant Christmas album comes on. Mm. Have yourself a merry little Christmas. Right? It just it just turns on the season for us. Right? These songs, they do something in us to prepare us for what's coming. And these songs, uh, it's again like the Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas is not really like my favorite Christmas song, but because every year when I would grow up, uh, I would have the, that kind of album on in the background as I was setting up for Christmas. And that's now a tradition for us as we're putting up our Christmas trees before Thanksgiving, we uh, turn on this, uh, this album. And it just, there's something about that that gets me ready for what's coming, right? And it's because I have all of these memories of these past experiences that all of a sudden come flooding in when that moment happens, right? When that, that song comes on, all of a sudden I'm just transported back to all of those memories and then it helps me get ready for what's coming. And so this morning, we're gonna be talking about this idea of preparation, And in the church, what we call this a season of preparation is Advent, as we've talked about. It's this season of waiting, of great anticipation for what is to come. And I want to frame our idea behind that today in this context of preparing, right? Because sometimes you hear about waiting, and it just feels like I'm just going to sit there and wait for things to happen. 
But it's this active waiting. It's a preparing ourselves and our community to receive what is coming at Christmas and to be ready to receive what Jesus has for us. And so in this season of Advent, we're going to be preparing by looking at these four different perspectives of four people that we often look at in this Christmas story. Now, we're not going back to these because we didn't have an original idea and we just wanted to kind of keep going back to the same old texts. The reason we're looking at these passages is because of what they do in us, of what they remind us about how God has been at work and alive in the past and how our present then allows us to prepare for what's coming on Christmas. That's why we go back to these passages again and again and again. And each of these uh, kind of four perspectives, we're going to look at John the Baptist and Mary and Joseph and the shepherds. Each of these perspectives is all kind of marked off by an appearance of an angel. So beautifully played today, Gabriel, by Paul. And he just did an outstanding job, right? I'll never look at Gabriel the same. Uh, And so we're going to kind of look at these different angelic hosts that come to also kind of set up the preparation, right? It's as if they're singing Amy Grant Christmas on the hillsides, right? Just preparing our hearts to say that something is coming. Someone is coming. This deep longing you have for a Messiah is here. Prepare your hearts. And we're calling this uh, series, Oh, Come, Let Us Adore, as we are mindful of what does it look like for us to come and adore Jesus, that these perspectives invite us to prepare for Jesus. But as I was thinking about this uh, kind of morning in particular, and kind of this little bit of a dissonance of like, how are we already at Advent, right? I realized that sometimes I'm, I'm not ready to adore, right? Like, it's easy to be like, oh, it's warm, and it's Christmas, and it's happy, and baby Jesus, But sometimes I'm not ready to adore. Sometimes I need some help. I need some some markers for me, like uh, Christmas decorations, like these Christmas songs, like these carols, these Advent readings, the lighting of light to remind me and prepare me to be able to come and adore Jesus. And so that's what we're going to be doing in this uh, season, and particularly this morning as we're beginning this first Sunday in Advent, we're going to be preparing our hearts to receive Jesus. Because frankly, sometimes in this season, We're not interested in coming to adore Jesus, not because we're unholy, not because we're bad people, but because of the context of our life. And so it's important for us to prepare, not so that we can just feel warm and fuzzy, but so that we can be ready to receive Jesus wherever God has us this season and wherever God might want to meet and encourage us. And so I want to invite you, if you have a Bible with you, uh, to take it out. We'll be in the New Testament uh, looking at the Gospel of Luke, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Luke is the third Gospel. Uh, At the very beginning of Luke's um, book, uh, Luke describes actually John the Baptist, this individual perspective that we're going to be looking at today. And so if you have a Bible, again, turn to Luke 1. We'll begin in verse 5, actually. Um, It'll be on the screen as well. If you have a Bible, it's great. There's one in the pew in front of you as well. But hear these words uh, that kind of continue to flesh out the kind of more full story that we saw presented for us this morning. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife, wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless. Because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they were both very old. Once when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to go into the temple of the Lord and to burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him. 
standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped, literally blanketed with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayers have been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. We uh, got to see a little bit more of the kind of fullness of this story, but as we're focusing on this kind of first perspective of John the Baptist, what's interesting about uh, this first one is John hasn't actually been born yet, right? And so we're focusing on this perspective of John the Baptist. A lot of what we're actually focusing on is the perspective of his parents, right? The perspective of Zechariah and Elizabeth. And so uh, this morning, because we're kind of doing that and we're looking at this idea of preparation, how are we preparing ourselves for the coming of Jesus, we're going to be spending a little bit more of the sermon time kind of looking back on the history or the kind of framework of why this is significant, because it helps us to see the way in which God has been uniquely intervening and uh, kind of in, in coming into the story of humanity. And that this preparation, right, these angelic, these angelic hosts that come and prepare the people, they, that certainly there's some preparation there. But as we're going to see this morning, God has been preparing God's story since the beginning of time, right? We heard in John 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. From the very beginning, even before time began, God was writing this story and preparing the hearts of the people to receive Jesus. And so this story is just kind of dripping with significance. And so we want to kind of explore that significance a little bit. And so for John the Baptist, uh, we hear of his parents, Zechariah and Elizabeth. Now, I will be honest, when I get to uh, lists of names in Scripture, it's kind of like, okay, skip that part, right? Like, "Mm, it doesn't matter. Uh, It does matter, (laughs) to be fair. Uh, But it's just, you know, you kind of glaze over it. And so I just want to kind of dig into the significance of who John's parents are. Uh, we hear about uh, Zechariah being uh, a, from the priestly line of Abijah. Now, uh, for the people of God, priests were really important because priests were the people who were kind of their main role was to be a, a, an intercessor, to be an intermediary person between the people and God. And in particular, the priestly roles, these kind of religious practices that they had resided around the temple, and these practices were for the purpose of this kind of reconciled relationship. And so if you go all the way back in the Old Testament, back to Moses, you hear of Moses going up to the top of this mountain to receive these, what we call the Ten Commandments from God. There's actually even more than ten, but it's these rules and these regulations that are established to set this group of people apart and to say, how is this group of people, how are they in intimate relationship with their God? And so to help them kind of hold that relationship, these priests were kind of a part of how they practiced these things, these uh, kind of offerings and all these different things that would happen at the temple to kind of seek to repair these broken schisms in the relationship between the people and God, okay? Now, uh, what we hear then is that Zechariah is one in this line. And typically what would happen is it was all kind of a family lineage, And so if your parents were, your father was a priest, then you would become a priest, and so on and so forth and so on. 
So we hear then that John the Baptist, who we call John the Baptist, is actually in the priestly line. Right? John is actually a priest. And for me, for some reason, I've read this so many times and like totally passed over the fact that he had a priestly function. His role was to step in as an intermediary between God's people and God. And so there's this like really beautiful kind of special thing that God is doing and using this line. Now, not only is John uh, a descendant of Zechariah, who was a priest, but it says that his mother Elizabeth was a direct descendant of Aaron. Now, if you remember in the Old Testament, Aaron is Moses' brother and is the very first priest. So do you see how God has been like, preparing the people from like way back in their history. And it's all kind of coming to this culmination of this person, John the Baptist, who both has a father in the priestly line and whose mother is a direct descendant of the very first priest, right? And so it totally changes how we understand John's kind of role. That John was set from kind of this history and this preparation to be this culmination of this significant line that was called to be an intercessor to help repair the broken relationship between God and God's people. It's just like so beautiful. I just had this like amazing invitation to see how rich this is. And so I, I would imagine then that people uh, had these expectations for what a priest would be, Right? And why it was so kind of disorienting for me is because if you know anything about John the Baptist, he's kind of a wacky guy, right? Like, uh, <clears throat> he wears animal skins and, like, is really furry and he doesn't shave at all and he's eating bugs kind of out in the wilderness. And so it says, like, a voice cries out in the wilderness and this crazy guy is like, ah, prepare the way for the Lord, right? It's like, it's a, this is not what you would associate with a priest, right? It's kind of like, uh, it's kind of like if a parent had an expectation like my kid is going to be a doctor and they end up being a veterinarian, right? Like there's nothing wrong with veterinarians. They're still doctors, certainly, but there's an expectation that they had of this priest, right? That's going to offer these kind of sacrifices and kind of live their life in proximity to the temple. And then you end up having John, this priest who's kind of crazy, right? A voice calling out in the wilderness. And so God uses this story of preparation, of, of understanding this custom, but totally upends it for what John's call ends up being, right? He's not going to be this person uh, abiding in the temple to offer sacrifices, but rather he's going to invite people themselves into the waters of baptism to see the sacrifice that Jesus makes on their behalf, right? This beautiful kind of upending of this story. So then we hear about uh, Zechariah and Elizabeth that it says that they were these righteous in God's sight, right? It literally says that they walked kind of in step with the commandments. And I have to admit, when I hear uh, kind of about these heroes or heroines of faith, it can kind of create some distance between myself and them, right? Because I know I am not like perfectly walking in step with all of the commandments all the time. And so then I can kind of feel like I'm, gonna, I'm at arm's length with these two. Because I clearly don't have the kind of uh, practice in my faith, in my life, like Zechariah and Elizabeth. But I think it's important and it's helpful for us to understand why it says that in this passage. Because I think it's actually invitational to invite us even further into the story, not to remove us because we aren't righteous. Uh, in those days, it was really significant uh, to have an heir. And especially in the context of having a priestly line, if priests are going to be passed on from generation to generation, it's really, really significant. And so your social standing was determined by how well you could produce an heir, and in those days, a male heir. 
And so because Zechariah and Elizabeth hadn't had a child, there already is kind of this uh, social standing that's kind of been demotivated a little bit. It's kind of a little bit lower. Uh, The other thing is, in those days, they felt like if you were facing infertility or you were barren, that there must be some sin in your past that was keeping you from having a child. Now, what Paul, or not Paul, what Luke makes very clear here is that Zechariah and Elizabeth are not facing infertility because of a past sin. And it's really important for us to see that this is the circumstance and the situation in which they find themselves in, but they are righteous in the sight of God. And so it is showing them that their barrenness is not because they are unrighteous. It is not because they have done something wrong. Right? This is really important to see that Luke is altering how people understand this context of infertility. It is not that they are bad or have done something wrong. It's the experience that they're facing. But God also uses that to kind of tie this also to a story. And actually, many stories throughout Scripture. If you think back to uh, the people Abraham and Sarah, these are also two people who were facing infertility. And God meets them in that place and tells Abraham, you will have descendants that outnumber the stars. Right? And so Abraham and Elizabeth are also, not Abraham and Elizabeth, Abraham and Sarah are also older, right? And so it ties that what Luke is doing is he's helping to kind of continue the line of God's story to the present of John coming into another couple who are facing this barrenness. And so the point I really want to make is this invitation into the story is that it doesn't just mean that uh, if you're facing uh, a barren place in your life, that if you're not righteous, God won't fulfill that. That's not what this is saying. What it is saying is that God is uniquely present to the barren places in our life. Right? God is uniquely present in these places that are, are places of pain and suffering and longing that have created this space for us where we feel outside or ostracized or that we aren't a part of something. And all throughout Scripture, over and over and over again, there are story after story after story of God's presence being uniquely manifest in these places of barrenness in our life. And this is the kind of preparation that God invites us to, to bring ourselves in these spaces where we find barrenness and that God is uniquely present to those things. It goes on then uh, to say, as, uh, as Luke tells us this story, that uh, Zechariah then is a priest and he goes in to the temple. And he goes into the temple to kind of perform his priestly duties. Now, at the time that Zechariah was around, he was probably one of 18,000 priests, right? That's a lot of priests. And so this offering was probably done maybe once or twice a day. But if you were uh, in this kind of space where you were being a priest, uh, this particular offering that Zechariah was doing would happen once in a lifetime. So if you were a priest and you were going to be called to go into the, the temple to offer a sacrifice, this was going to be the only time that you would ever do this in your lifetime. And so uh, it's at this moment, it's at this crucial moment where Zechariah has finally been chosen from all of these people that he's called to do this really significant task. And this significant task is one uh, of offering this incense is particularly about uh, reconciling the people to God in what we call the sin offering. 
So we have done things that have kept us from God, and the priest would go and they would offer these sacrifices as a, a, an anointing to God to say, we want to be in reconciled relationship. And so it's at this moment that Zechariah receives the invitation from God about John. And it's, uh, it's like uh, God is doing this kind of remarkable and beautiful thing where he's taking a custom, a tradition of their, of their people, and he's taking this high point to describe something miraculous even beyond their understanding. So uh, at Christmas time, at, at this season, there's all kinds of traditions that we participate in, right? And it would be like having a tradition where we're all gathered around the table and maybe that's, there's just this really high and holy moment where we've gathered at the table and, and this uh, person we were hoping to come, you know, great Aunt Clara, we would love for her to be with us. And as we're gathered at the table, she shows up right at that moment. And so there's this tie to a tradition, to this really significant thing that has happened in the, the life of these people. And it's at that moment that God tells John, you are going to have a son. And what's so beautiful about this uh, moment is that it's kind of dripping with this significance, right? This past tradition that they would all know that they'd been preparing for from the beginning of their whole existence as a people of God. They've been preparing for this moment, and it's at this moment for Zechariah that God chooses to send Gabriel and tell John this, or tell Zechariah this message. And this message that Gabriel tells to Zechariah says, I've heard your prayer. Now, we don't ever actually hear that John necessarily, or that Zechariah was necessarily praying for a son. And so God meets the need of Zechariah and Elizabeth while also meeting the need of the people. And so if, if Zechariah was in the temple to be kind of offering this reconciled relationship between God and God's people, at that moment, God is both meeting a, a personal need for Elizabeth and Zechariah with their longing for a son, but is also meeting Zechariah's need in prayer. Zechariah, right, was praying on behalf of the people. God, we want to be in reconciled relationship with you. And God meets Zechariah and says, you will be reconciled to me through your son because your son will point people to Jesus. It's this significant kind of preparation work that's happening. Uh, and so then here's what uh, the angel Gabriel tells Zechariah about his son. He says to Zechariah, John will go and turn back the people of Israel to the Lord their God. He will create preparation. He will bring them back to God. And he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of their parents to their children and the disobedient of the wisdom and the righteousness, this turning back towards God to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. What uh, the angel Gabriel says actually directly translates there is God uh, has called John to prepare the people to be prepared for the Lord. To prepare the people to be prepared for the Lord. But the words that are used there that talk about kind of this preparation are two different ways of understanding the word. So the first word when uh, Gabriel tells Zechariah that John has been called to prepare a way this preparation is what would happen uh, when a king would be going to a, another place, right? They'd be tr uh, moving from one area to another. And an envoy from that king would go on ahead of that king. And they would go on ahead of that king uh, to kind of check out the route in front of them. And if there was a spot that had kind of this wilderness place or that there was uh, kind of undulating ground, they would make the place smooth 
so that the king could pass. So when it says that John has been come to prepare a way for the Lord, to prepare a people, it literally has this connotation of this word that was to make the path straight for the king. He was to level out the ground so that the king could have access to where the king was going. And so then the second preparation, uh, it says that he prepared a way, he made level the ground for a people to be prepared for the Lord. Now this other word for to be prepared is a word that is often used in the context of a builder. And the context of a builder, when they would be making a dwelling, it's that they would be preparing everything for that dwelling to receive what would be dwelling within that space. All of the necessary elements that were required for that particular construction would be built together to receive what is coming. Do you see how unbelievably beautiful the language is for this preparation of John? That John's call is to make a smooth road for the king, Jesus, to come and to then create a dwelling with all the necessary elements to receive what would come and dwell in that structure. This is the call of, of Christmas and of Advent, of to prepare the way to receive Jesus. That John was called to make the road smooth so that he could then build the people into a structure, into the housing to receive Jesus. This is the preparation. This is the longing. This is the hope we have at Christmas to prepare the way to build ourselves together to receive God, to receive Jesus. Now, I have to admit, uh, a lot in our world focuses kind of on this kind of instant gratification, right? Like that it should just happen. Like if we, I heard a sermon preached on preparation, I'm good, should be ready to go, let's receive Jesus. Right? We live in a world that just, we expect that everything will happen kind of right after we hear about it. And this is, the, all of these kind of ties of all of this preparation show that these have been longing for centuries upon centuries. The people have been being prepared by God to receive the Messiah, Jesus, and Jesus has come. And so now Jesus is going to be prepared for with a level ground in this building up of the people by John so that they might be prepared and ready to receive Jesus. And this is what we do at Advent to prepare ourselves for the coming of Emmanuel, of God with us, of this Christ child. Uh, this part of the story is particularly poignant uh, in our own life right now as we're expecting and anticipating a child. And uh, a couple weeks ago, uh, we were kind of going through, uh, sometimes it's called nesting, right? Kind of getting ready, preparing the space to receive your child. Uh, and so we finally, uh, after we had lived in our house for a year and a half, were attending to our garage, as <laughs> sometimes tends to be the case. Uh, and as we were, we, you know, we were, the main goal, the reason for that was we wanted to first of all get some clothes uh, in preparation, some kind of hand-me-down clothes from our other daughter, uh, as well as to uh, bring in this cradle that Britta's father had made. And so uh, we were going through, you know, we just had bags upon bags of all this garbage, 
right? Like, why? there was just like literally just garbage sitting in our garage, but it was organized garbage on shelves. <laughs> and so uh, we had to go through and just kind of, uh, we filled up our bins two times over just to get rid of all the stuff we'd been hanging on to, right? We didn't need it, we just hang on to it. And there was also all of this other furniture that was kind of, you know, maybe we'll use that at some point, but it was furniture that didn't have a purpose anymore. We didn't need that furniture at all. And so we kind of got that ready and organized and some of that thrown away. And then uh, I just had this moment when we had kind of done all this work in the garage, getting all this stuff thrown away, all these things rearranged, getting, you know, preparation, getting all this ready. And uh, we had brought the cradle in, and it was sitting, uh, it's sitting now in our back room kind of right next to a window. And I just sat there for a moment, and I saw this this thing that had been made by my father-in-law's hands to hold the child that would come. The child uh, is not in there right now, but this, this space had been prepared. It had been made ready to receive what would come into it. And it, it changed our, our, the makeup of our house. It's changing the way that we've configured our space to be ready to receive this child. And I had this kind of aha moment of thinking about the same kind of invitation for us in our faith. Right, this invitation for us to prepare, I, I loved the uh, nine months later, right, the sign that walked over nine months later, and I was talking to Paul about that before, and he said, wouldn't it be so nice if it went that quickly, <laughs> right, you just walked it in front, uh, but it doesn't, it doesn't go that fast, it takes time, it takes time to prepare these things, it takes time to prepare our hearts to be ready to receive Jesus, it takes time to be ready to adore, and it, it takes work, Right? It requires us to go through our garage and to get rid of the stuff that we've been holding on to. Right? These things that have been kind of dragging us down that we've organized onto shelves so it looks nice, but it's in fact needs to be discarded. It's this furniture that we've been holding on to that no longer has a purpose, but maybe sometime I'll have to go back to that. And, and the invitation to bless others with that furniture. It's the reworking of the spaces in our homes to have a cradle ready to receive whatever it is that God might have for us or for us as a people to be ready to receive this child. It changes our spaces. It changes the way that we organize ourselves. It changes within us. And so the question I want to leave us with this morning is how are you being invited to prepare for Jesus in this season? What things are you being asked to let go of? What furniture, what things no longer fit for you? These things that perhaps need to be given away or, or discarded altogether. What, what new things are you being invited to bring into the house of your faith, into the house of our gathered life together as a community to create space for Jesus? to make room in our own lives and in the lives of our community to receive this Christ child, Emmanuel, God, with us. I don't know about you, but this season has been one in which I just don't quite feel ready. And so uh, just for a few moments before we sing our last song, I want to just give you some space to be quiet. Uh, there'll be some just gentle reflective music that we'll play. And it's just an opportunity for you to ask this question with God. What, how are you asking me to prepare to receive Jesus? What in this season might you be asking me to let go of or to change or to bring in so that I can be ready to receive you as we remember these things, these perspectives of coming to adore Jesus? And so as we do that, I want to invite you uh, to kind of relax your body. 
if you feel comfortable to close your eyes, to open your hands, and to focus on your breathing for just a moment. Take some slow breaths in and out. And as you hear this music, to just be invited into conversation with God. How is God inviting you to prepare for Jesus in this season? Thank you.